0: Yeah, the cocktails haven't hit yet. To nick there? Okay.
1: Let's play dress what's in the teacup.
0: So we're live on Twitter, that's a good start. And that's where everyone else is, so...
1: Oh, I'm afraid it is tea. <laughs> it is coffee house after all so i said i'd go with with tea as it's
0: decaf yeah but it's based on the french salon so you can have everything from tea to absinthe Uh, i'll wait till eight o'clock for that (laughs) right it, we have YouTube, LinkedIn and Periscope, which is still around for those who were wondering. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the last in this part of the series of the Talking About BeerCon 2. So we've got our last set of speakers and we've got a repeat appearance from one uh, oh. who was so popular last time that there was clamour to bring him back so you'll get to answer the same questions again for everyone who missed it last time. <clears throat> We've been running these now for a month, and it only feels like a lot longer. Um, Last one, for those who don't know, BeerCon 2 was a Rise of the Rookies event put on by the beer farmers, where the basic rule was you're not allowed to speak if you've spoken at another event. There was one exception, so it was if you have spoken at another event before you applied, there was one person who spoke between applying and the actual event, but that was allowed. And to be honest, the talks at the event, the presentations at Beacon 2 were better than the vast majority of ones I've seen at professional events from professional speakers. So along with that, there was a, I'd say, fairly supportive community, um, quite enthusiastic, and the energy kept going. And it just seemed like it would be a good idea to get the speakers in, ask them some questions about the experience, see how everyone's doing and keep it going. So first of all, uh, let's start with Juan because we don't know who you are. Uh, if you can just introduce yourself.
2: Um, hello, I'm Juan. I used to work as a system systems administrator. And um, I did the talk about uh, GDPR, which was everyone's favorite topic.
1: Okay, and Ger? Er, <laughs> I'm Jer. Um I'm formerly uh, an insurance fraud investigator uh, up until February this year. Um, and uh, yeah, just kind of stumbled into InfoSec via some of the pro, some of the social media campaigns that have been going on. And uh,
3: that's really me. And sure up. Uh, I'm basically a petroleum engineer and uh, I switched my fields to InfoSec and I'm pursuing my master's in InfoSec and working as a junior pen tester at a private firm
0: locally. Brilliant. And for all of those watching at home uh, and the live studio audience, if you have any questions you'd like to throw at our panelists, just drop them into the chat, the Q&A, the LinkedIn feed, the YouTube feed, the Twitter feed. just ask them and i'll try and pick them up and pass them on <clears throat> so nice and simple and let's kick off and we will go in reverse order this time um sure how did you actually end up getting roped in or volunteering just getting involved with the event
3: basically i followed scott because i had a thing in two and then i eventually followed the bear farmers and then i saw them putting up the beer on two rise of the rookie i said uh, why not give it a try and then i came to participate in the event
0: thank you and jen um i've been
1: uh, toying with the idea of doing something to kind of uh, share the knowledge that i had with people who were who were talking about all their data breaches but everyone always kind of only left it at that and i thought well here's a chance uh, quite friendly with with scott and, and seen the beer farmers were We're doing something to help people out and they're always so good to help people if they they ask for help. And I thought, you know what, I'll throw my name in there. They seem happy to take an outsider like myself and to do a talk. So I thought, why not? I'll I'll put something in. It'll be good practice.
0: And one, I would ask you the same question, but you answered it last time. So I'm going to throw a different one at you and it's going to be a harder one. (laughs) There was a huge range of people speaking and there were people who definitely were not, classical security people, I'd say the majority were not classically informational cybersecurity. What were your thoughts on that diversity of your peers, essentially? Because you were much more embedded in that than I was. So I'm just interested in what you thought of it.
3: I think
2: this diversity shows that information security has grown to be more than just a digital products. Uh, and there's way too much stuff that is thrown into IT, which might not be IT related, but because of uh, the way, you know, we're we're going, obviously going through a major digital age, obviously everything that comes to security goes then through IT security, because it's easier to have one person responsible for everything than just one. And this diversity shows that no matter where you are, there's obviously something for you within the field.
0: Thank you. And... Joe, we'll go to you next just to keep you all on your toes. I can guess the answer to this, but um, how did you choose your topic? Why did you choose your topic? And was it something that you thought, I want to talk about because I've got something important to say or people will be interested? What was the reasoning behind that topic?
4: Um,
1: It was kind of what I've I've said already. I, I found that a lot of people were spending a lot of time on social media complaining about... Data breaches without ever actually doing thinking about the kind of the follow-up beyond it um in my previous role i got to speak to quite a lot of victims um of people who were kind of the aftermath of the data breaches you know, people complain about oh ba you've had a data breach and um all those all those big companies that have an experience and the likes um but no one ever thinks about the the actual victims they say oh people's data is out there um i got to see what happened to that data and um, getting used and people getting post and you know things through that was unexpected and um quite stressful for them um no one ever talked about that from what i saw everyone just complained about the fact that oh, someone's security has is, has been taken seriously um and thought now we, we need to kind of broaden people out and uh, because i had several years of that I, I worked for almost eight years um looking at insurance fraud and it was application fraud I looked at so it wasn't the kind of cars crashing together it was people pretending to be James Bohr setting up insurance policies in his name um so I was it's just to kind of share that element of thing and, and hopefully a couple of people managed to take something from it to go right you know I've got a family member who's just looking for insurance for the first time maybe I'll I've seen that talk to her maybe I'll just have a wee quick word um and see if they can I can help them and direct them in the right you know direction as opposed to finding out a couple of weeks later, they've got six points in the Raven license and are in a bit of trouble When they, they could have stepped in and helped.
0: And Shurik?
1: Uh
3: Well, uh, when I started out uh, in InfoSec, I started with uh, web app pen testing and bug hunting. And then I moved towards enterprise security and Active Directory pen testing. And, uh, I honestly very enjoyed Active Directory pen testing. So I thought, why not share with the world, what I've learned it will eventually help me improve my concepts as well.
0: Thank you. And one uh, different question for you again. So for your next talk, will it be on the same topic? Will it be the same subject? Will there be a shift to something else?
2: So I have submitted a CFP in the meantime. I had hoped to be able to do some um, uh, wargaming uh, similar to what uh, Liz Welton has done with uh, aviation security. But perhaps it's more interesting to do something more um, uh, storytelling. So showing some uh, risks and um, why people might try to take some uh, easy routes out and the consequences of taking these, um, these routes. Thank you. Right. Um,
0: next one, let's go back to the original order. One, you've spoken about this. You've now had a week to think after you answered this last time. How was the whole experience? Do any bits of it stand out for you?
2: I'd say something that stands out was the CFP process. Uh, Definitely, this was something that was very straightforward. It was just send us an email, tell us what you want to talk about, and tell us who you are. And that was it. There was no, uh, tell us what you're gonna t- talk about in detail, they just wanted to know, hey, you're somebody new, you have something to, you wanna talk about. I think that definitely sets uh, BeerCon to apart from other conferences who might be more intrusive. Good answer. Yeah.
0: How how was the whole experience from the application through to actually doing your talk? I'll ask about coming off stage later, but up to that point. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Um, it was it was quite easy saw the tweet go out to say about the announcement and i thought right i'll quickly throw something in and um, um, put an application in and then kind of over the course of a, a couple of weeks the couple of weeks in the build up to it just kind of getting it written and you know getting the support from from everyone um the other speakers and the mentors and that and um, it seemed far too easy from the way people talk about the way it is at conferences it was just coming across as just very gentle and it was everyone was helping each other there was no there was no stress to it at all like a lot of people were nervous kind of getting ready for their talks and things like that but we were all there helping each other and it was just i think it was just a quite a unique environment from the sounds of it that's been that's been created that everyone's still talking to each other and helping each other out and um, it it was it was quite to, be honest, to be honest, in the end
3: and sure uh well yeah it was really awesome for me to speak at a conference and the as one said the cfp part was really very awesome because i uh, i asked Scott uh, on linkedin that what do i have to submit do i have to give it a whole abstract of my presentation sorry of my presentation or what he said, "No, man. Just only the topic what you're going to speak at." And then the, there's the thing that in the even in the Slack channel, in the mentors uh, channel, uh, no none of the beer farmers were present, right? And they went a whole lot uh, ahead to arrange all the, all the amazing mentors for us. I mean, who does that? So amazing experience, amazing. I literally don't have enough words to describe what I'm feeling right now.
0: <clears throat> okay, right. So. And starting with Sharuk again this time, you're in the green room about to go on stage. You've got uh, not nerves, you've got excitement. (laughs) How was that when you actually went on and started delivering the talk?
3: Uh, Actually, I was very excited as well as very nervous because of the fact that I had to give a live demo. And uh, the recording was uh, a little bit. Uh, I mean, it was not uh, complete recorded, so it. I had this thing in my mind: what if everything goes wrong? But when I started going with the presentation, I, uh, uh, I, I flew, I flew, I flowed with it, and eventually everything went well.
1: Okay,
0: and chair.
1: I'm. Um, it was a bit surreal because obviously I was in the background for the day in a bit um before my talk because it was mid-morning on friday but yeah it was a bit it was a bit surreal to to go from seeing everyone else on the screens to going oh it's my turn Ah, uh, there's my face um <laughs> and uh going on but yeah it was it was quite exciting it was uh it wasn't as nerve-wracking as i was expecting it to be because i just felt so prepared from the from all the help we've had before that you know we knew that everyone was there to see us was rooting for you to, to go well so uh, helps you relax in the first I think all of us had it all of us have said it that you know the first 30 seconds you're nervous and then suddenly you're like no no I got this and then you just kind of you played on with it with the talk and it was it was good and absolute hats off to for his for his live demo
0: (laughs) and um, just for those who don't know Joe was one of the people who spent pretty much the whole time except when he was talking in the green room, just welcoming speakers, prepping people, calming people down. So that's an example of really how speakers did form this community and just got involved and did things and supported one another. Um, One, same question to you. Uh,
2: So obviously, you uh, get into the greeting room with um, well, the two mentors and the two uh, goons. And then, uh, you know, you get booted off into a room with the beer farmers. Uh, The beer farmers, you know, come the game, they say, all right, you're gonna be talking to so-and-so. And and when there's 10 minutes left, Scott's gonna put up the 10 minute timer. Except that, that was a bit later on, I think. That was my impression. And, um, you know, when the moment you go there, they really say, you know, You're just talking to a bunch of mates and that really really helped to like, calm down the nerves. You're not talking to a hundred people, just talking to four guys at the pub. Well, maybe the coffee room at 10 in the morning. And, uh, you know, just telling, uh, in my case, it was uh, telling Sean, you know, my stories with GDPR.
0: Mute button. Thank you. Right. New question round. So, starting with Sharuk, what would you like to ask your other two speakers?
3: Uh, I would like to ask Pan first. That GDBI is really a very boring topic. I mean, I'm sorry, but it, it really is. But how did you go on making it so interesting?
2: I think. Do I answer or wait for Joris' question? You. You answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, So I was directly affected by GDPR uh, in my line of work. And I realized that it's something that's definitely, uh, if you look at DPO positions, people are looking for lawyers, not for IT people. And yet the people who are implementing the controls and who are responsible for these controls are IT. And so being able to talk about, you know, my experience, being able to put forward, you know, how things are working or not working for technical people coming from a technical perspective, I think is what helps us um, link together, as you say, make it interesting. It's not just a thousand pages of legal text. Thank
3: you. Yeah, same thing. I mean, I really get bored when it's all, uh, you know, talky-talk and not something technical and uh, uh, practical. So the fact that you both made it so interesting. So how do you guys do it? I mean, if I would have been in your place, I know I would have fucked up.
1: On well, the man who did the light demo, I don't think so <laughs> in this latest. Um No, I just, I tried to relate it to people. I think that was always the thing. I used a lot of names. Um you know, I gave, I gave people identities. It wasn't just person A as my examples. It was, I gave them names. It was used, I used Mike as my, you know, as my identity for a victim. I used names of people that we know, like the likes of Sean and, and Alan and that and people, people around the industry that, you know, people who would be attending BeerCon con would, would recognize the names so that it would stick in their minds um, to, to be able to kind of go from there. And if you can make a story like that relatable to someone it resonates a lot more um and they're more likely to remember it as opposed to what did he say about person a and b but it was like oh no he was making fun of so-and so for you know this happening to them um, and then that that kind of sticks sticks a little bit better for them
0: Thank you right yeah
1: question for your two colleagues Please. um Shrig, you pulled off a live demo everyone's always talked about it um what advice would you give to someone um, who's toying with the idea of doing a live demo over recorded? Like how often did you, did you practice beforehand that you just just absolutely knocked it out of the park?
3: Uh, I mean, practice at least twice before giving a presentation, before going live. because, the, uh, And secondly, uh, take note of what commands you're going to type because nervousness makes you forget things. So it would be really embarrassing if you forget. So I had my script ready. I had my commands that uh, in a sticky note on the side of my screen. So because I forgot commands, I even mentioned in my uh, talk that I forgot this command. Let me check it back in my presentation, in my notes. So first advice, keep your commands at are notes, keep your notes ready. And the second one, make sure you have a recording because everything,
1: doesn't go well every time. And Juan, um with GDPR being quite a difficult topic for everyone to get their their minds around, um, and obviously you've, you've done a lot to break down that, that stigma. Would you think that you'd, you'd keep on that theme of things and start releasing a bit more information about to to keep people right with the up-to-date gdpr releases and that so that because you can be a bit dry when you're looking at things from information commissioners and that but just kind of breaking things down and making things easier and for people so you can continue down that route
2: so i noticed recently that uh some companies have got their uh data protection strategies completely wrong um i actually had a company recently that Uh, use my data completely against what I had specified they were allowed to use it for and uh, obviously got some unsolicited marketing. I opted out of it and one week later, I'm getting their newsletter again. So maybe I'll I'll go around maybe strategies for people to handle this type of uh, situations. Um, I'm currently using one solution, but I'm not particularly happy with it. So maybe look to Building something else.
0: Thank you. And finally, one uh, question for your other speakers.
2: All right. So, as part of the run up, we were told that push ups may be a solution to help calm the nerves. Now, I tried it, it didn't really work. But uh, what did you do that helped?
3: Uh, you're going first, or should I?
2: Uh, on you go. I, I
0: okay. will just point out this is being recorded. <laughs> oh. uh,
3: well, uh, I honestly didn't do any kind of push-ups or anything like that. But uh, there was, uh, who mentioned, I guess, Sam mentioned that go pee before, you go, before you're before giving a talk. So yeah, I really did that. And uh, secondly, I talked to the mentors.
1: I did five push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I decided I I ticked off the box after the mentors obviously gave their to give time and they loads of tips. I tried to tick off as many of them as I could. So I had my glass of water. and had gone to the bathroom. I decided, you know what? It'll be good. It'll be good fun to to just go. Yeah, you know what? I've I've done my five push-ups. Um, uh, before before when it which which came from Claire. Um, and uh, it was it was it was just this uh, settled the nerves, and then just before he went in, um, Dave, who was he was giving me some mentoring as well, uh, popped in out of his work meeting to go. Wanna wish you luck, good luck, and then that was me like just just nipping in, and that helped a lot as well, just to, to kind of smooth off the nerves going in. But to us, I was so excited um, to get started. It was it was good, but it was a nice way to kind of go. Oh, that's cool, and then I was in into the room with the with the speakers, but yeah, it was a... Uh, well, I, I recommend the push-ups. Push-ups were, were right. It was good fun. Just even to make you smile because that kind of gave you that buzz. Of, <laughs> good.
0: Right. <clears throat> so we've got the mentors session next week, which will be hosted by one of the speakers rather than me because I need a break. Um, but is there a question, and this is obviously for each of you, is there a question you'd like to see the mentors asked? Uh, Starts let's go alphabetical so sure. oh um
1: I would say uh, i would i would certainly like to to know if the if the mentors would be um would continue with the, their kind of mentoring workshop would they would they recommend it to to other conferences that you know, but they put themselves forward at another conference to say, "I'll do mentoring for you," because um, a lot of a lot of the mentors were our were, were, speakers in their own own right. Um, but uh, how much of a buzz do the mentors get from from being a mentor for for something like this? And obviously, would it be something that they'd be they'd feel quite encouraged to to doing again on a on a regular basis?
0: Just taking notes
2: to help the host out next time. Host oh, next week. <laughs> uh, one. So I'd given a question last week, but something uh, else that is interesting is to see how BeerCon impacted them as speakers. Uh, So potential future conferences or new topics that they want to explore.
3: Thank you, and Shuruk? Yeah, the same that, uh, how was the whole entire experience for the mentors? I mean, we were all rookies, so how the mentors were with us (laughs) by constant pinging
0: Okay, thank you. All right now that I've uh, cheated for the next one, <clears throat> obviously you've had what so far, according to every single speaker, was an incredibly positive experience. Uh, some of you are already going on and arranging your next talk. Do you think you would go on and try to do a live on stage talk or a few more? online ones or have you decided it was great but i don't want to do it again what are the plans next Uh, let's start with shrook
3: i think i'm not ready for going on stage so yeah i might do a few online and virtual ones before going on stage and yeah
1: and yeah i would so definitely quite happy to do a, another virtual one Uh live on stage yeah you know what it's definitely beercon has definitely given me the confidence to go you know what the idea of speaking at a, a conference if you'd asked me back in july i'd have gone Nah, i'll just i'll just sit back and, and watch it's fine um but you know what Having seen you know i hope it would be in newcastle and then not to beercon too it was it was quite eye-opening as to like it's actually quite straightforward to do there's nothing really to be afraid of um and i would like to think that there's not too much to be afraid of doing a live talk i'm sure plenty can go wrong and, and will go wrong from the horror stories we we've heard shared but you know what i would i would give it a go um we certainly uh wouldn't wouldn't shy away as i would once would have a couple of months ago um but uh plans for now are. Um, continue doing a little bit of research uh, on some of the things I was talking about, hunting down some of the, the brokers that I'd spoken about and share that information with the authorities and then um, maybe develop on a follow-on talk as well maybe.
0: And one.
2: Uh, so from my line of work, I've had to provide a, a fair amount of uh, live training uh, to users. So uh, live stage conference would uh, definitely not be a deal breaker for me obviously I would not be starting off with something uh, with 500 people live audience uh, where you have the people who know the topic better than myself, but certainly being able to provide uh, uh, insights to, you know, similar audiences, uh, live stage, definitely open to that. Okay. And we've, we've
0: had a few comments coming in from YouTube. Um, So one is, why isn't the guy at the bottom right? That would be Chiruk speaking. Then there's a psych. He's my cousin, and I love him. So I'm assuming you know who that's from. I hope.
3: Let me check who that is.
0: <laughs> but then a, a much more important question. So same person, but there there wasn't any beer at BeerCon. Uh, I think all that that shows is that they obviously weren't backstage, but. wasn't beer there wasn't a big drinking thing around it which is unusual for conferences from my own experiences there is usually quite a strong drinking culture and there was also of course infosec happy hour but it seemed to be a much more moderate thing for the actual conference all of the approach to it really just what are your thoughts on the social surround of it because i know you've all been you've probably all been involved in some way in InfoSec Happy Hour. You've been along to it, you know how that gets. Do you think there's a difference in the culture and do you think there's a reason why? And what is that reason? So let's start with J. Um, I think there definitely is a
1: a, a difference. there there was no there's no really even mention of drinking too much, even on the Slack for for BeerCon. You mm-hmm. I think I think the idea of BeerCon probably did make people who were seeing it from the outside for the first time just thought, right, what are they going to be talking about? It's just going to be, everything's going to be alcohol related. All the examples are going to be alcohol related. And it's like, well, no, I think everyone was just quite excited. Um, and I don't think anyone was kind of talking, barely anyone even joked about drinks for nerves. It was just that, uh, you know, everyone was just kind of going, no, you've got this, you know, everyone's helped gene each other along. There's no, no one's falling out. Oh, there's no, you know, there's no no angriness or anything like that. Every time someone made a suggestion, everyone knew and it's like actually they want me to do well. This the suggestions well melted There's no there was no meltdowns or anything like that that anyone seemed to be having that I saw. Um and it was it was it was good. It's definitely um, something that was quite quite nice because you you do see people complaining all the time about infosic and social media being quite aggressive and everyone wants to to put someone down to try and level themselves up. Whereas I think Bearcon definitely showed you could get a lot of rookies together who were kind of coming in for the first time and they took their first steps together as opposed to running ahead of someone else and um, they just lifted each other up um, and it was great um, it definitely was quite positive and everyone's still chatting away the slack is still going the, you know the odd comment comes in every now and then you're just kind of thinking like it's been over a month and and every mm-hmm. each other we're all you know we're chatting at coffee house or you know you know everyone's interacting a lot on Twitter and things like that and so it's it's been quite nice to, for that to mentality not to have just been a, a weekend kind of thing and then everyone's away um, it's a you know friendships have been made um, and people are getting along and people are working together and it's been it's been exciting more to come. Thank you. Uh,
3: uh Yeah from uh, Piercon 2 has really been a nice experience I mean I hadn't known this many people Before Bicondu, and now I've made some really incredible friends just by being part of Bicondu. So it was really very nice. And uh, like Gur said, that uh, I've seen many people here in our local community as well that they they're putting down people and not letting, not appreciating how uh, the rookies are growing and progressing. So this was really something very nice to give rookies and newbies a chance to come forward.
2: Thank you, and one. So obviously because it was a, a virtual conference, there was a big, uh, well, interest to go watch the live talks and uh, obviously communicate with the people about what's going on. And again, because the talks were just limited to red teaming, blue teaming, uh, digital forensics, you know, because the topics were so wide, it really showed that, oh my God, this, this is actually really interesting and um, people got to see topics that perhaps they wouldn't have been interested in visiting at other larger conferences. Again, single track. Every talk that I was able to catch live was absolutely amazing. The others I was able to catch up later, the same. And, you know, because there were so many topics being brought up, you know, people were just like, Oh, this is something I don't really know that much about. This is new to me. And I think that definitely helped to keep people Perhaps away from this uh, uh, lobby con uh, state of mind.
1: I think because everyone was helping each other so much, you were almost invested in everyone else's talks as well. That you were kind of going, "No, I'm, I'm, I've seen them practice that. I want to, I you know, go see the the real deal when it's when it's through and live." And it's, it was quite good that way.
0: We we have had another question about curvo roasting being a breach of privacy, which I think is kind of the point of it, isn't it? It's, it's a security talk about kerbo-roasting and how it's a dangerous breach of privacy.
3: Uh, can you repeat?
0: Uh, there was, sorry, there was a question on isn't kerbo-roasting a breach of privacy? And as far as I was aware, that was kind of the point of the talk, that it is an attack.
3: Yeah. yeah. So basically, kerbo-roasting, uh, as the questions asked is, the, it is a pri- it is a breach of privacy, but yes, it can be dangerous and it can be misused. So my point of giving a talk on Kerberos was to demonstrate the threat that uh, Kerberos authentication poses.
0: Yeah, thank you. And there is a, another question aimed at Sharuk. So, what advantages actually this can be for everyone? Mm-hmm. What advantages do you feel live demos have over pre-recorded ones?
3: Um, I mean, uh, when you're doing a live demo, you're interacting more with the audience. I mean, if you're, uh, giving a recorded session, uh, this actually, Dave, David uh, mentioned this to me that you're either sitting and or doing a voiceover, which is not necessarily as interactive as going hands-on live. So when you're doing a live demo, you're basically interacting more with the audience and making it more interesting.
0: Thank you. And one,
2: live demos versus pre-recorded. So something similar, for example, if we look at uh, Liz Welton, uh, she does her polls on Twitter before the speech and then includes this directly into the slides. It's obviously not the same as a live demo as uh, you were doing, but again, it uh, means that she d- doesn't really get to make her slides uh, two weeks in advance in this, having to get these done you know, relatively late with regards to the talk. Obviously, the main advantage is that you're able to get, as you said, direct inputs from um, the audience. Obviously, in our case, we were, our audience was uh, the beer farmers. We were not really talking with uh, the people watching. But if you're doing this in front of a live stage, you can get, you know, direct voting. What would people like to see? And uh, I think that definitely lets them decide their own, uh, Choose your own adventure. as it
0: were. Thank you, and Joe. Um, I think uh,
1: I, I, I think Mark's on this. Summed it up. It's it's edge of the seat stuff. Um, when he was, he was saying in the chat, yeah, like if people do kind of sit up and go, woo, whoo. It's a it's a live demo. But I think that kinda of keeps the adrenaline going when you're like as as a speaker to, to go right. Uh you know, how confident I am that we're gonna we're gonna pull this off. You know, it kind of shows how well you you're confident in your skills to, to go right. You know, this is this is a further test of never mind doing a talk for the first time. Let's go and let's go and do a, a live demo as as well and uh just you know, a flex like that, which was quite quite cool to watch for the, the people that did it. But yeah, it's a, a live demo was definitely something that people will set up and go, oh, and it'll definitely be something people will take away from from a talk as well. It's like that's the that's the one with the live demo where they, they did this, that, and the other, and you know they were only talking for twenty five minutes, but suddenly they've they've managed to like complete something that you wouldn't have necessarily thought could be done in that in that space of time at all.
0: Okay, right, so moving on from that and looking towards the future a bit obviously we've spoken about each of you are interested in doing more talks but other next steps has beercon made a difference in general path forward has it even just made you rethink things have any opportunities come out what's coming next and has the talk has the event had any influence on that
2: Uh, let's start with one so following my talk, I was able to uh, get in contact with uh, PrevaCat. Uh, so she contacted me on um, Twitter, um, made some comments about my talk. We were discussing so the impacts of GDPR in the UK with your um, favorite trick question, British company and, uh, <laughs> and European uh, data center. And so, you know, this led to being able to discover other you know situations far more interesting um cases and um this actually led to the uh, second uh c f p so definitely big impact there and um you know obviously clear opportunity of learning meeting people in the field okay and sure uh
3: well yeah. uh after beercon 2 my Twitter followers increased from about 80 to around 210 and 212. So oof, a sudden boost up and uh, but honestly, I have now uh, one of our fellow speakers, Joshua, he contacted me, he contacted us on Slack and said, there's a lead packet hat soft going on if you're interested. So my plans are to speak there. Uh, and honestly, it, could, it couldn't it could have happened without beercon 2
0: and yeah, um,
1: yeah, it's just it's spurred me on to to look a bit further to developing what I was kind of talking about a bit more because it toyed it since finishing up working back at the start towards the start of the year that I've kind of been humming and on you know it's something on a list of oh that needs to you know need to get my finger out and actually do that but you know because I went in and the beer con, it kind of gave me the push of you know what, this can be done and this can be can be pushed. Push forward and kind of like sure could, Twitter followers went up so you're kind of getting a lot more interaction with people as well and, and chatting a bit more and that's been quite nice as well especially with lockdown as we're Kind of going further into it and you're not allowed to talk to as many people it's actually been quite nice that we were giving you more people to talk to um, and because it's kind of started virtually i think it's helped a lot as well that you've not just kind of exchanged details physically with someone and then you don't talk to them for six months because everything has just continually been virtual the whole time i think it's meant that a lot of a lot of links that were made were were stronger for it because you just continue on the same line of communication as opposed to it's um kind of been broken across different different methods For the, James is frozen. Pose. <laughs> <laughs> James is away, party time.
3: <laughs>
1: Everyone filled the chat with your favorite cocktail. He's probably just cocktailing it.
2: Okay. Um, right, so I'll, I'll tell this I told you yours, one. I've been made the host. Um, do we do we want to maybe get uh, Scott involved to ask some more questions? Well, you're the host now. I think you should ask the questions.
1: Remember them from Oof. last week.
2: <laughs> All right. Um, so, well, this is the um, a security coffee house. So, favorite coffee or tea?
1: Oh, double espresso all the time for me, especially before running so get to get get you going.
3: Sharuk, uh, simple tea with uh, two teaspoons of sugar. All
2: right. Uh, oops, sorry, I added the wrong
3: person. <laughs> Hang on, folks, we're having some technical
2: difficulties. <laughs> right. So Scott is there. Um, and we have a question from Chris Boer. Um, would the speakers hold a session like a workshop as well as speak at one? Sure.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's everyone's kind of spoken about, if they haven't checked in in previous weeks before, the mentors. Have been insanely humble about the efforts they've actually put in over BeerCon. Like there was what twenty nine speakers, and it was just it, it was incredible just how many people were were um were involved, and they just took a step back and they were the ears to listen to, um to help us all to help us all out um and they put in and it was it was quite inspiring for how much how much they've helped, um along with the support from the beer farmers and the vectors. Like I think it, it flowed quite well. And they worked so hard to to kind of keep it going with all the with keeping Zoom rooms open for people and passing goals from person to person so that the Zoom rooms could keep going so people could get all their practice done. Um and it definitely was a was something was a case of no, you know what? I think a good few people, speakers from BeerCon have signed up to be helpers at other conferences because they've had such a good experience here. They're kind of going, right, let's let's get stuck in so if, if at any point someone wanted help from me to go oh could you give me a hand with this would you mind even just listening to my slides i think there isn't a single beer con speaker who wouldn't say of course you know, fire me over a link i'll be ready when you are um, and we'll we'll help each other out and we'll work through it together and um, because that's the the mentality BeerCon con had so if we were all in it together we were all at the same point um, where we were you're we were, we we're all rookies together so everyone helped each other out and that's, that'd be a great thing to 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 take for to pay forward um, for the amount of help and, and effort that the mentors put into us. We can pass it on. We can multiply it massively from the five or so of them that
0: you know we've got 30 people who could do exactly the same job for others. I'm, I'm just going to say, uh, mine has completely died. So I'm going to go fix that and you can share host between you. You are now off streaming because my internet is dead. So you've just got the audience there. I'm sure one of you has been set as host. Feel free to promote people to panelists and just have a general discussion or keep talking uh,
2: while I fix some minor technical issues. And I'll be back as soon as I can. Cool. Uh, So I'd say same question for uh, Sharuk.
3: Yeah, definitely. I would love to uh, pass on what the mentors had, uh, had taught us to newcomers because I mean, it's all about giving back to the community. And there's, uh, if you're keeping all it all to yourself, I mean, then no, no one can really grow, right? You have to help each other grow a- a- along with you. So definitely I would love for, uh, to pass on uh, whatever help anyone might need.
2: And I think we have a question for Scott. Is providing a forum for novice speakers really vital in other fields, too?
4: Uh, I would say so. Um, So one of the things that we noticed um, about BeerCon 2, specifically about the rookies, quote unquote, was it was really risky given 29 unknown people full control over a Twitch account for two days that's gonna be recorded and we put a lot of work into it. And then what we got out far blew away our expectations. Um, And it's not that we thought that you guys were gonna do badly or anything or it's gonna go shit. It was just more like everybody was an unknown commodity which is kinda nice because it means that you've not been cycling the same talk for the last five years like I do. Like I do that genuinely. I'll cycle the same talk had a little bit. And so you've probably heard me speak about roughly three or four similar things. We were getting people just coming at it from a totally different point of view, or you know, uh James Birdseye, for example, giving us uh insight into healthcare. and um, we've got Gerard giving us insight into a, you know, the actual impact of a date breach. We've got everybody from everywhere kind go of going, hey this is my experience of it and this is what it means um so yeah i think that applies to any industry not just infosec not just tech
2: uh jer obviously you come from a different field what are your thoughts
1: oh it's definitely a, an important thing to to pull in novice speakers in in any field it's it definitely livens things up as scott says you get a lot of people who go out there and they probably give the same talk 20 times in 20 different locations um pretty much and then they move on to another talk for the the following year season we'll say um whereas if you get someone uh, like ourselves who've just been rookies going in doing the first talk it's it's something you're you're guaranteed. Um, to to find that there's you know there's a passion there that like you know this is something someone has, has shown to spoke about and they may speak about it just the once or twice um but it'll be early i think this is possibly what uh what chris boerman means about his early career researchers and the in the QA and a of, you know, some someone that's early in, but it's definitely something that'll, that'll shake things up because I think you'll end up with the same people who go to the, the same conferences, giving the same talks and everyone's bored at the conferences. Whereas if you get a new face in with a, a slightly different view, especially a rookie's view, because they'll see things differently to the way someone who's been doing the same job for, for 10, 15 years. Um, so a rookie will come in and, you know, they might be a rookie who's come in from a different industry before. They might have just come straight from, from uni or school um, and they will they will have, they will have a different view. Everyone will have a different view, but they won't be tainted by any uh, any bias they've, they've gathered over a couple of years. Um, so it's definitely something that's, that's needed across the fields. So it would have been quite interesting to see something like that in my own field that I was in before, um, where they tend to, to lock a lot of things down and no one wants to talk to each other
2: about things a lot of the times. And Sharuk, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, same. Uh, we have to give chance uh, to the rookies to speak uh, every time because as it's really, uh, I think, a very famous saying that uh, the rookies are the building blocks of the future. So we have to give them a chance to come forward. And no matter if they present on the same topic that has been presented a million times before, Everyone has a different set of, uh, has a different set of thinking, has, has a different mindset and delivers something in his own unique way. So there's definitely something unique uh, to learn in every dog, regardless of the topic that it has been presented a million times before.
2: And, um, Sharuk, quick question. What would you tell your pre-Beerkan 2 self about the talking experience?
3: Um... Uh, just grab the opportunity and go for it. Nerves, it doesn't really matter when you have uh, the knowledge and you when you know something when you're confident about it. So just grab an opportunity and go for it.
2: And Jared,
1: um, that you know, enjoy the experience. And don't don't stress about anything. not that it was particularly stressful at, at all at any point. But it was uh, it was definitely something of you know what. You've, You've got this in the bag like everyone else it'll be it'll be
2: absolutely fine nothing to nothing to worry about and scott obviously you've hosted or were a part of beercon one um maybe what would you tell yourself and the beer farmers in the coming up to beercon 2 about the experience
4: it will be nothing like you expect at all um things will just work out totally differently so for anyone that's not aware, I wasn't a beer farmer when beer Con one happened. So I was just a person that spoke Um, I turned up maybe for my slot and maybe a little bit before I was listened to it throughout the day, but I turned up in the zoom 20 minutes or 30 minutes before my slot, gave my thing, said my piece left. That was it. It was all very, it was a good, it was a good conference. It was a good cause. You know, everybody came on, it was like interviews rather than actually talks, but we were not prepared. What we thought we were going to get um, and what we got were two very different things with BeerCon Two. We thought it was going to be a good opportunity for people. We never realized the amount of positivity, the amount of um, people that were willing to, like the mentors, people that were just willing to go, hey, I'm just going to donate four weeks of my life to help all these people for nothing. And we're like, wow, we didn't expect that. We didn't expect the positivity. We didn't expect people have have reached out to some of the speakers and said, hey, do you want to kind of comment on this article or do you want to talk here? That's awesome, we didn't expect that. We are just like, hey, here's an excuse for us to be, you know, spend two days in front of a video camera and talk, so.
2: All right, Um, there's a question from Chris. In science, the term early career researchers is common. And in his view or her view, is disdainful. Is it different in cybersecurity, or is BeerCon unique, um, Sharuk? Um,
3: I guess BeerCon was uh, unique because the, uh, it gave a chance for to rookies to speak, right? And many many conferences don't give the give rookies a chance unless it's a really uh, out of the box or a really what can you say, interesting topic. But in BeerCon, if you have not spoken at any conference previously, you're allowed to be a part of it. You're allowed to come forward and speak. So it was unique.
2: Uh, Jer, Yeah, I
1: definitely think um, from, from the way that people have, have spoken about BeerCon is definitely unique for what it's done, a purely rookie conference. Um, I would like to think that it'll shake up how people treat rookies. Moving forwards, um, especially if they're, you know, if it's if it's a disdainful turn to use, call someone an early career researcher, is a bit. It it even comes across that way that they're kind of immediately putting out there that you might not have the experience that others are are looking at. But you know what, it it gives someone a a different view. We've we've spoken about. um, It will be nice to think that we'll, you know, people all have picked something up and going. You know what, the the guys were onto something here. and you know move move forward with that as to, to how you know it's almost like sometimes you hear that the, the rookie track's almost like a token effort to say oh yeah we have we have rookies but come see our big speakers and um, this was uh these are all our speakers these these are these are the main event um and that massively would giving people confidence to to go forward and and hopefully they'll be able to to kind of big up their their rookie tracks if in future moving moving forward not that people won't want to see bigger ticket name um, speakers but i think it might open people up to you know let's go check out the rookie tracks because there's going to be a couple of good few gems inside there now and um, whereas they wouldn't have given maybe the same amount of consideration previous things
2: uh scott any insights
4: I, yeah i mean just coming back to a point i made earlier like It was a bit of a risk, and I think that's why a lot of other conferences or groups or organizations had a rookie track buried in a bigger deal. Um, It was quite risky. I don't know if we run it again tomorrow. We'd get 29, 31, 30, I think we had 34, 35 applications, 31 uh, uh, 31 actually went for it, 29 actually showed up due to health reasons and other reasons. Um, it is risky, and I think that's why a lot of people didn't do it. They were worried about taking that risk and that leap of faith. But holy balls did it pay off, and holy balls as it paid off more. I would pay money to go to BeerCon. I wouldn't over like some, like, and no offense to any of the conferences, I, I, no offense to them at all. They're booking good people, but I would pay good money to go to BeerCon versus one of the bigger name conferences with people that I know purely because we're getting, again, I'm going to refer to an earlier answer, different opinions from people who have not been on the speaking circuit that I've no idea who they are and they're coming at it from a totally different angle when talking about baby shark toilets. I'm like, whoa, holy shit, where did that come from? You know, that that's cool. That's that's worth its weight in
2: gold to me. Okay. Um, there's a question about GDPR. You we can have this one. one. That's, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so GDPR obviously protects European residents. Uh, you have the Data Protection Act, which has been updated to protect uh, British residents and to act as an equivalency uh, between the UK and the EU post-Brexit. However, any company who wishes to have European customers as a key demographic in their in their market segment um, has to be compliant with GDPR regulations. This can be in the US, Asia, Africa. You want to target um, European customers, you need to be compliant. If uh, if I go to Thailand and want to go buy a bamboo statue from the corner shop, uh, that corner shop doesn't need to be compliant. I hope that answers the question. And we have, okay, um, looks like we've run- slowly run out of talks uh, and questions. Um, Scott, anything you want to ask the speakers?
4: Uh, yeah, actually just, I have this really weird, um, I imagine what a talk's gonna look like. So I visualize like, a, I apply for a talk or I'm asked to speak somewhere, I visualize the stage, I visualize the audience, regardless what size it is, I visualize how it's gonna go. I turn up on the day and it's totally different. Um, and I walk away from talks that I think are have written really well, who have, which have been really poorly received, or I believe they've been poorly received, and then walk away from talks that I've written on the back of a cigarette packet the night before, and then you know it's been incredibly well received just the content wise it's been the right audience at the right time um doing that virtually though I've done maybe two virtual talks since lockdown that is terrifying um I, I know the question was asked would you do a, a live um in-person conference but uh, to all of you would, you know did it make a difference? Did you look at any of the Twitch numbers, like how many people were watching, and did that impact it, or you know, or did it genuinely just feel as if you were in a room like this, just talking to us, and it just happened to have a live stream? And uh, just randomly, one of you jump in first.
0: <laughs>
1: I did look at the Twitch numbers, um, but at the same point, it, it was still, it still just felt like I was chatting to the beer farmers. Um, you know, you was it was quite easy because the kind of the build up and the how relaxed the actual atmosphere was when it was it was ready to stream. Um that it was just the case of the all where it is just a small room that was easy to convince ourselves and not think about the fact that the point it was speaking that it was like just about 65, 70 people on Twitch watching as well. I was just thinking, no, it's just it's the four lads in the room, it's fine.
2: Um but I Um so Uh, I was the second speaker on the Thursday, so I caught the very beginning of uh, Sack's talk on uh, D&D and um, and DevOps. And I saw that he was getting close to 100 uh, watchers shortly before I closed the Twitch and uh, focused on (laughs) joining the Zoom meeting and only having one screen on at the time.
3: Yeah, I also didn't look at any Twitch numbers because firstly, I had a time constraint because I had to do a demo as well. And secondly, I knew if I looked at Twitch and saw how this much amount of people watching me, I would have screwed up. So I didn't look at Twitch numbers. I just went on with my talk and that's it. Uh,
2: There's a question here about uh, if if data breaches happen and the company is silent about it, why can't they keep it low instead of telling everyone about it and getting ruined? I think maybe Gerard, you might have some insights into this.
1: I'm um, trying to wrap my head the that. Uh, um, I think everyone does you, They kind of have to come forward to you with regard to a data breach and actually be honest about it. Um, there's nothing worse than being seen to be burying information. So it's a, or a nightmare um for a company to to get caught that way it's you know it's just, as bad as it sounds to for a company to come forward and say well oh, we've been breached it's uh it's certainly worse that they've gone no no there's there's been no breach and then someone goes well we've got proof here and um, and that that definitely um i think that it leads to more ruin in the long run um than uh, that it uh, you know just coming straight forward and being like this has happened. We're trying to solve it. And we're really, we are really sorry because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's going to come out and say, we're not sorry. There's been a data breach. We didn't prepare for it. They've always come out and say, no, no, we're, we're sorry. We thought we had it. We don't. We're just going to work on it.
2: Sharuk, um, uh, any insights into why yeah. a company might want to disclose this?
3: Uh, I honestly don't get it why companies do not disclose that they've been breached because honestly, if you disclose it, then users. might Users might take actions to secure themselves, and if you're not disclosing it, you cannot. Uh, there's no uncertainty or uh, proof of whether the company has been breached or not. Like for instance, I recently heard of a uh, database getting leaked of uh, one of our local airlines uh, here, and uh, there is no n- nothing in the news on the social. It's all only on Twitter and nothing in the government has been highlighted. Nothing on uh, in, in, in our local community has been highlighted about it. And people are only asking that, is this for real? Has this really happened? Do we have to take actions? I mean, wh- why not go on disclosing that you've been breached?
2: Uh, I'm going to add that if a breach is made public, there's going to be an investigation to the company. And if it's found that you were aware of this and did not disclose it, uh, the fines are going to be astron- astronomically worse than uh, what you might get if you actually make a disclosure. Um, if you make disclosure, you can hope to get some support in finding appropriate teams for the forensics and incident response. Uh, there's a question or a comment. Did you guys watch your talk after the fact to see the reactions uh, in real time?
3: Yeah, I did.
2: (laughs) And uh, your reactions to
3: that? I mean, I was watching my talk just to see that what mistakes have I done for future reference. And I honestly looked at the chat and was really, very amazed of how people were supporting my live demo and liking it. And uh, there was and I was really confident that I had done a very good job.
2: And uh, Jer? no i
1: uh <laughs> i finished my talk without a look and uh, came back and just continued doing the stuff in the green room uh with, with with the speakers uh for the rest of the day i think i left it a couple of days before watching my talk back uh because i've never done that before so it was a bit surreal to like even when i was practicing i wasn't wasn't looking at myself at any point um so i did i left it a little bit and then i i re-watched the back of my wife uh, a couple of days later um just to see, but it was getting quite nice feedback from people uh, throughout. So after doing the talk, so it was it was quite nice. That kind of gave me the confidence to um, go right. I, I can I can sit and actually just watch myself, and you know. Critique myself as I go along, and uh, and see the reactions and stuff. Um, but I, because I think at one point when I was talking through my story, I think, uh, Scott and Sean started laughing, and they popped up on my screen because they were laughing. And I thought, right, I need to keep looking at my slides. I cannot break focus here, otherwise I'll start to giggle as well, and then we'll, it'll all go to it'll all go to places. Uh,
2: Scott, obviously, you uh, saw the talks at least three times, once live. Once uh, preparing to upload to YouTube and uh, once uploaded, were you and the beer farmers involved in a lot of moderation on the uh, live stream?
4: Uh, no. So we, we drafted in two conscripts to, or three or four conscripts, I think, on the day um, James, Jer, Leonard, and Dave Mack to help us with moderation of the Twitch chat or anything like that. And There was a bit of a worry. Um so we initially the OBS overlays that I designed had a space for the chat box. So I thought, oh, you know, it'd be nice if you're watching back your video to see what people are saying. But there was uh, there was a bit of a, a discussion that people online are shit. And there's probably someone out there that's gonna say some really random comment or something that's taken out of context or you know. Um, we we have a long running joke about Pakistan customs. It's funny if you know the context to that, but if you see that out of context, you might, you know, and it totally, it adds nothing to the talk. You Mm -hmm. know, it's people talking at the same time as a talk is going on, vaguely loosely related. So we decided to remove that because we thought, you know, people will be a bit weird. Someone's going to say something about, you know, my hair or someone's, you know, someone's accent. There's going to be something. There wasn't anything. So there was very little for us to moderate. I think there was one person that got the wrong end of the stick about one talk um, and DM would them and they were like, oh yeah, sorry. I got the wrong end of the stick. It's all good. That was it. So there was no moderation. There was no, nothing. We had to clean up later. Nothing. We thought, Oh God, this is going to be annoying. Nothing. And by the way, just as a point on the talks, the fact that I did see them three times, I saw them live and then I had to edit them and then upload them. the night I was editing them, so I was editing them the night of each each night conference. At the end of the day of the conference, we would download the 10 hour long video clip. I would then edit that, then put them in a, a upload folder to go to YouTube, but we double check them and put the title cards at the start and the end. I've edited a crap ton of video and usually I watch like 10 seconds of it just to get my bearings. I, the amount of times I found myself like clicking on halfway through like your talk one, and just being like, this is really interesting, and the, actually finding myself getting back into the talk and really enjoying it, and going, oh, this, is- oh no, wait, I need to be editing this, right? Come on, pull yourself out. Every single one was like that. Every single talk, it was just great to like put it on, drop it in, right? I need to trim this. I will watch another. I watch two minutes before it hits the end, and then I would. I watch two minutes before that oh, let me rewatch the bit where Mick LeBraid plays his song, or let me rewatch the bit where Parker pulls out a sax, or, you know, Mm -hmm. Viv talking about the IPV6 stuff, which I still think is spooky voodoo, but it was explained to me in an amazing way. So I actually got it. Um, I I ended up just going by and watching everyone's, bits of everyone's talks and had a little highlight reel myself. So that was was nice. So thank you to every single one of you. Um, It's your fault, I guess. But um yeah.
1: No, Scott made us do it. It's it's definitely your fault. Even the American speakers come on to go, yeah, Scott made me do it. Scott made me do it. I'm talking Scott. Scott made me do it.
4: <laughs> I'm just really good at just uh uh shouting at people on Twitter as everybody knows and until they say yes or block me. So nobody blocked me. Was, well one person did, but that's that's another story. Um but no everybody came along when they were asked. There was a couple of people that I tweeted or DM'd and said, Hey, you should totally submit talk and they did the exact. Same, every single one of you had the same conversation with me at some point, going, uh, "Yeah, I don't know what to speak about. Like, just, just come up with something. You've got insight. Nah, I don't know whether this is good enough. You delivered it. You delivered an amazing talk. So, yeah, everybody was excellent. Um, yeah, really, I'm really proud of everybody. Like, feel we. I'm still buzzing about it now. That's how, that's how good it is for me.
2: Uh, I think there's a crucial question here in the chat. Ooh. and um they're asking if the only moderation was marmite uh jer your inputs
1: um, yeah uh, i can confirm the only moderation that we put in on the twitch chat was various marmite terms which was also on the slack as well which that just kept us amused um but yeah that was that was pretty much the only uh, the only moderation we needed to do which made life be really easy for us as well cuz i think a lot of us were kind of were kind of gooning for the first time or kind of early days anyway. That was only the second time I'd ever helped out at a conference. Um, and it was, it was, it was good. Um, it did make life just so much easier when everyone involved it was just rooting for the speakers. Um, so there was nothing to, there was nothing to worry about other than the Marmite jacket getting out of hand. Um, but that even made people laugh and they just kind of left it from there without, they, without even that getting out of hand. They just kind of went back to, all right, that's funny. We'll go back and listen to the speaker. Uh,
2: Sharuk, your experience with the moderation?
3: Uh, I have not been part of any moderation, but I want to know what's the hate all about for Marmite.
2: So Marmite is a delicious spread. Uh, It's excellent on um, toast and butter. And if you're really cool like Vicks, you have the Swiss stuff, which is new and improved and tastes better. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) <laughs> there is
4: something incredibly wrong with all of you um so marmite of these things you either love it or hate it um ten guesses which camp i fit into but um i did try it once on happier live um and it I, I can still taste it and this was at least six months ago but oh yeah um marmite is is a lie and it came from the pit of hell itself but no, um, I think that's about 10 past eight. We are still live streaming to uh, LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to message James just now and get him to kill that. But um, as James is not here, I just want to say thank you on behalf of Coffeehouse, I guess, um, for giving up your, your time and coming along. This is cool. Like I've never been involved in a conference where people are still willing to talk about said conference and other people at the conference even four weeks later. So thank you, guys.
1: Cool. We'll uh, will will uh, we'll attempt to kill the the stream. Then there is an option there that we talking to about. about the uh stopped live stream, so we'll see if that works. So that James LinkedIn doesn't have a a, a three hour. <laughs> three